Red Truth and White Lies, a podcast of two Canada's, brought to you by CME. Go to thecrediblemohawk.com to catch up on, on past episodes. Also by Two Row Coffee Company, where coffee and culture connect. Go to www.tworowcoffeeco.ca. That's right. Today on episode five, we're going to be talking about traditional food and sustainable farming. Uh, we're going to be talking about the creation story. We're going to do a little overview of the three sisters and heirloom potatoes as it pertains to the Binyakehaga people or the Mohawks. Um, the in- importance of food mm-hmm. as it pertains to the Ohandagari Wadekwa, the words before all else. We do that before all of our meetings, ceremonies, get togethers, etc. And uh, what the word Jantekwa actually means, so it sustains us. Right, and then we're going to go on to talk about the cultural significance of food, the importance of agriculture and agriculture and traditional indigenous ecological knowledge. Uh, that's something that um, is being discussed more and needs to be more widely discussed, I believe. And the awareness of oneself while on a traditional diet, because when people do start using an, an indigenous diet, they know it's a difference. Yes. So, having said that, it's nice to have everybody here. I'm Andrew. I'm Nathan. And I'm Nick. So today we'll get started a little bit about, um, you know, the creation story mm-hmm. right? and uh, the importance of this of food and three sisters. Yeah. Uh, so in order to understand the importance of uh, Junhekwa food to Ganyangehaga, Mohawk people, uh, we have to start from the beginning almost, right? And in the beginning for us was the creation story. Right. And there are many ways of people saying how she fell from the sky. Correct. Um, when you're an adult, you learn that she was actually pushed. Yes. So when she came down, she grabbed these roots and these seeds. And uh, mm-hmm. she came and she was falling. Um, make the long story shorter, she gets onto the back of these birds. The geese come and catch her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the turtle rises up, lowers down onto the back of the turtle. Three different um, uh, animals go down to try to uh, retrieve earth from the bottom of the water to bring up for her to plant these seeds and do something with it. So the uh, muskrat, he finally comes up with a uh, little pinch. Yeah, a little pinch dirt, but he was dead. So he had floated up to the top. Um, so she gave a little bit of tobacco for that because he gave his life mm-hmm. for that for that dirt. So she went and she put it down and she started singing, and, you know, that women's song. So she was singing, dancing and spreading that all around. She was pregnant at the time too, when she had fallen. Um, so uh, she had a baby girl, <clears throat> and then she raised this girl, and then this girl, her daughter, had become pregnant um, by West Wind, and when uh, she had had these twins, she was pregnant with twins, and uh, after they were born, one was born naturally, and then the other, it came out of her side, it like tore its way through her side, and it killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the, uh, when the Sky Woman went to bury her daughter, she put her in the earth, and when she uh, after a while, after, I don't know, was it the season or whatever, mm-hmm. the thing started to grow from her. It was the corn, it was the beans, it was the squash, and it was the heirloom uh, potatoes, which mm-hmm. grew from her daughter's body. Mm-hmm. And that was her gift back. Um, so even though she was killed, um, she still was willing to give back as a mother. As a mother. <clears throat> and we, uh, as people today, still give thanks to those uh, three sisters and the heirloom potatoes uh, those are basic uh, foods, yeah, staples. Sorry yeah. for a traditional diet. Yeah, we still we still give thanks to them today, and um, 
like we have a whole section dedicated to it in <clears> Ontario <throat> with that one. Yep. And I have these sheets that I would use in my classrooms as a teacher for a long time. And it was something that, you know, we learned ever since we were little. Yeah. And it was that Agwez once that D&D and it's now we're all going to gather our minds together and we're going to give thanks to this thing, the, the, the things that sustain us, mm -hmm. you know, and we put that all together in our minds together as one. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then from there, like we obviously then give thanks to all the uh, things that help sustain us. That's part of Junhakwa, uh, which being a uh, deer because that was but, our game. But specifically to John Hekwa though, yeah. it's Onus Bay, Ozera, and Ozeheda, the corn beans and the squash. Yeah. So that's what this one talks about because when we get into uh, the deer and stuff like that, we give thanks to things separately yeah. because they are a separate being in themselves. Same with Gahik uh, Suha, the fruit. Right. They all have their own separate ways because we need to give thanks to all these things individually. They all have their own spirit because um, the reason why we give thanks to the three sisters themselves and the heirloom potatoes is because they all came from one body. They all came from that mother. Yep. So they're all sisters. They're all relatives, you know. Yep. And we'll find, and even you as a farmer, you can find they all grow best together. Exactly. <laughs> you know? uh, and the other thing, too, what we were talking about the other day was uh, we give thanks to each thing separately in the Ohundungare Dekwa because each thing that we give thanks to separately also has its own story yeah as well uh background if you will we won't get into that but i'm just saying like that like this one right here the story of uh of that which sustains us exactly is the story of you know like it's a story of death obviously mm -hmm. a death and rebirth and death and life yeah yeah life so and death. it's it's right from the beginning we start learning those concepts of life and death and you know right from an early age so we can start to understand those because all of our ceremonies revolve around life and death exactly. like we have literal ceremonies that you know it's called ogiwe that we do at night twice a year and it's to honor our past ancestors you it, know and exactly. many there's lots of indigenous cultures that have that same kind of thing you know there's that that dance to the dead or whatever it is yeah the dead like there's that mm -hmm. like people have those things all, all across and that's just part of our responsibilities too as ungwe hunwe uh, as a part of the uh, what our rules and responsibility are, responsibilities are to take care of those things and to then pass the, these teachings on so that uh, everything can be sustainable for the future generations. That's why when we do this the four, it literally means to be put before something. That's the business, it's the matters. You know, the it's the things that come before, you know, um, all of the matters, all the concerns. And what's always put first is creation. What's always put first is the concept of the spirits that surround you and the things that you can't control and the things that you're supposed to work with. You know, mm -hmm. it's about that harmony and that balance. And that's why we say, that's why we say, and this is why now we bring our minds together. That's and that's why you will see in a, in a longhouse full of different nations, at that moment, every single person in that room will say, yo. yo. And that is something that will make your skin, like the bumps raise. Electric. Because everybody has a different opinion about everything. Everybody sees the world a different way. 
everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, anything. But we can all agree that we need to give thanks to the water, that we need to give thanks to the wind, that we need to give thanks to that that sustains us. Those are the things in life that ensures we all survive for the next seven generations. Mm-hmm. And the way that we put them throughout the, you know, the layers of how we give thanks, we put ourselves, we don't put ourselves first, but we put ourselves at the bottom, you know, because as we go, you'll see how these spirits, different spirits, they start getting stronger and stronger and have more effect on the different ways that creation happens. You know, like the, uh, the food, it'll grow here, but then what, what helps that food grow? But what helps that? But what helps that? But what helps that? And so on and so forth. And those energies and those powers of existence just get stronger as you go. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, we're that smallest one. We're that smallest being. Yeah. You know. So we need all of this stuff that surrounds us in order to, uh, you know, survive. <laughs> exactly. And this is what sustains us. So this is where our sustainability begins with our understanding of nature and the spirit, the connection of the land. The, how to talk to it and how to communicate with it and we're introduced with this when we're born mm-hmm. this is how we're introduced into the world our name is used in it um our names are used in it so the creation knows who we are so exactly. when we walk around when we're out and about we're recognized by the things that are that surround us mm-hmm. you know so if we need help if we need guidance we can reach out using those using our name using that connection with spirit in the land and to understand and know what these words like mean, you know, that is part of where where sustainability starts. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. <laughs> so again, that's why, in order to understand the traditional diet, yeah, that's basically the beginning uh, stages in a nutshell uh, of where we stand. So now, where do we go? Okay, he says we give thanks to the three sisters because that is part of the original Jumhekwa story of the mother giving her life for sustainability. So we have to give thanks to corn, beans, squash, and heirloom potatoes. Right. So there is cultural significance all across indigenous cultures. And then when you write, when you um, start dissecting and pulling away the religion and the the oppression that's even been placed on like non-indigenous people like Nick Mm -hmm. you uh, were discussing like what the actual pagan holidays are Mm -hmm. like and different things like that like because there's got to be cultural significance of food in your culture as well yeah right like what's like their creation like we have is there a story like that yeah give us some uh insight (laughs) into that please yeah I i can do that thanks for asking um yeah the creation story is basically uh, I can't remember everybody's names just off the top. Uh, I'm still memorizing that part. Uh, it was Odin and his two brothers killed a, an evil giant. And um, his bones became the mountains. His flesh became the earth. And his blood is the seas and the water. And from that, that sustains man. And and as that's just how Midgard was created. There's eight other worlds that, that surround us as well that were there. And they're created from something called Gnimgunap which means the great unknown, the great mystery. You know, it's what's above, you know, creator, it's the great spirit, what's above great spirit. Everybody knows that's the mystery. Um, and the same idea applies. And then when in some of the pagan festivals, so such as the, you know, Lahoy's, uh Midwinter Festival, that is Yule for traditional Nordic people. 
Uh, Ostara is a very popular festival, which is Easter. And it's actually the same word for the Ongohoi people as for the Norse people. So there's a big tie in there. Um, the uh, Dance of the Dead, Ceremonies of the Dead uh, were a big thing. Now, you do have to realize, too, in old pagan cultures that there was a lot of sacrifice that would happen as well. And, and there would be a, a nine-year sacrifice and everything pertained around the number nine. So uh, this was portrayed in, in the television show about Vikings on TV. It was very misconstrued as how it went about, but they had the basic principles correct, which is, you know, nine of every living being that you thrive on must be sacrificed, including a human. So there's nine men, nine women, nine girls and nine boys would all have to be honorary sacrifice would be nine male rabbits, nine female rabbits, and everything, and everything would either be from the farm or wild caught. There would also be nine bushels of the grains that they would sustain them, such as barley and oats were big in, in, in their culture. Um, and then later on, rye came in when they got into Russia and areas like that, that grew more rye. So within the, the giving thanks to the earth a lot of that comes from the ceremonial festivals but nordic people gave thanks every day in a similar way that the people do every morning when we burn our, we burn our sage you know we smudge or whatever uh, i do follow some it's kind of mixed for me because the the medicines that are for traditional to me aren't available now because they were have but they've been taken away through assimilation unlike the indigenous cultures of canada where they've held on to that those medicines they've been able to get them back at some point um or or not have them taken away from them so you know burning cinnamon or bay leaves or uh or pine resin is very common for me to do when i when i have my morning ceremony and drumming as well um i don't like to show or talk about my drum it's a very private thing very personal to us uh, i did make my own drum i burped it uh during Yule. And that's a very special time to do it because that is the festival of being able to survive in that darkness and now coming into the light time. Because yeah. what, when is the Midwinter Festival? When is the Yule Festival? The 21st of December. It's yeah. right at the change when the days start to get longer. And, and that's our festival of birth and the festival of light. So having, having made a drum at that time, it was, it was deeply moving. It was a very, very, very moving thing to have and learn from and, and be connected with as well as being connected with the land um as we all know the, the scandinavian people so-called the vikings they were farmers a lot of them were, were were straight up farmers and they um they farmed sheep and farmed goats and they farmed pigs and ducks and geese but they didn't get all of that on their own it came from somewhere else where that came from was they discovered part of north america Upper East Coast, along Greenland Islands, along there too. So when they when they discovered things and brought them home, and and they're they're thankful for them, and they gifted that back to the earth in part of their festivals. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, is Yule? How long is Yule? Uh, um, I think it's eight days. Eight, yeah, because our midwinter can go up to eight days. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, same. Yeah, Ostrada is usually three or four days. You can shorten it up if you want to. I don't celebrate or practice traditional festivals, but um, the the festivals are very involved in 
to do them properly or do the ceremonies properly there it, it's sometimes you're you have to put away three days of your life to do that and, and in a modern society we can't do that so we shorten them up and do the best that we can um and right. part of that way is you know during those ceremony times or, or festival times or gathering times you give a constant offering to the earth of something that you would sacrifice as a great whole as a big deal but do it on your own in your own little private way um, you know if you're going to eat meat that day you you save some of that raw meat and you put it back on the earth with whatever else you're eating yeah. um, you know at, at halloween that's that's the, the that's one of the biggest festivals of all uh, for for pagan people, we when we sit down for a meal, we have a we have a chair with a plate that's full of food, silverware, and a cup full of wine, meat, or beer, and it sits there while we eat our feast with the feast of our ancestors. Yeah, that's uh, our feast for the dead. Yep. Yeah, and then and then when we're done, when we're done eating, we put that plate outside for the ones that can't come indoors, and we leave it outside until sunrise, and then we bury everything in the ground usually by a, a significant tree like a walnut or an oak or, yeah. or for you guys it would be a pine tree pine tree so uh, there's a lot of a lot of deep significance between and we leave it <laughs> yeah and, and we never return. yeah and usually uh animals or whatever and or whatever whatever it is whatever it is takes it uh and, and the same thing at ours uh we actually don't use uh salt or seasonings into the food because we want them to come take it and that would deter them yeah. from eating their food if we have uh, salt in it. So what I was saying about the uh, uh, life of the ceremony, we have that one day where we we turn the ashes. Yeah. You know, it's like literally like that new year, that new beginning, and you're talking about that coming into the light. That's what that stirring the ashes is for us. It takes everything that was old, buries it, and then brings up all the, everything that's fresh underneath, you know, and it's like about rejuvenation, restarting something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it, the, the connections are amazing and it's it's really awesome to have learned that and and be be in tune with that and and know that there's other people on the earth that do the same thing at the same time of year for the benefit of the earth and everybody after themselves So the cultural significance of food is huge among like just people. And the only thing that's taken away from that is like capital grief. Capital grief. <laughs> so do you feel then uh, based off of that, Nick, that because we're not able to do as many of the uh, ceremony and traditional teachings, like even your uh, culture that you were saying as much, uh, why we're not being as fruitful with our agriculture uh, today? Yeah, a lot of it is control. You know, we're literally, I wrote I wrote something a while ago. I'm going to share it after I finish editing it. It's called Regulated to Death, literally. Uh, and it's from a farmer's aspect of all the government regulations that are imposed on us and quotas and things that we have to follow. Like I spoke before about the lettuce police coming out here and taking samples of lettuce and taking it back to test it for to see if it can get people sick. And it just makes me makes me shake my head sometimes when you, you see that stuff and and have to deal with it and, you know it's food just let us grow it you know i understand i understand the idea that you're trying to save money in your system but it's food <laughs> stop regulating you to plant some fruit trees and maintain cut grass all the time yeah mm-hmm. yeah like what's wrong with people eating 
right? That was like, well, like having free access to food and water. It sounds like and, such a good thing to some people. Right. Well, the system, this, yeah. the system is designed to withhold that from its subjects, and they've been doing it for millennia that the system's been in play. You know, Rome didn't fall; it just moved into Great Britain, and and then they infused the ideas into the Americas. You know, North, South, and Central, and and we've seen that you know through the invasion of of those minds here. The indigenous preservation of ecological modes, though, is pristine, and even not just indigenous, but indigenous to other places. Like for you, for example, you've learned how to use the land. Mm -hmm. You've worked with the indigenous people, not just them, but you're out, you're out there doing it. You you legit, you actually make soil. Yeah, you just <laughs> said you make your own soil in order to sustain an entire farming ground. Literally giving the land back. Literally giving the <laughs> land back. Yeah, it, it is possible to grow or make your own soil, you know, through the idea of cover cropping and using uh, microorganism and fungal organism cultures that you can collect out in the wild and, and proliferate at home through specific ways. They're called indigenous microorganisms because they're microorganisms from your area. Right. And, you know, you can, you can do anaerobic or aerobic, which means in a bucket of water, or you can do it in some rice that you cook. Uh, there's two different ways. They work very, very well at literally busting up and making the soil nice and loose and fluffy. Like if you've ever dug out sod in your yard where it's been growing for a long time and that nice, loose, crumbly, fluffy, dry soil that you feel right there, that's what your garden becomes. And you can do this in some pretty tough, pretty tough soil. There's actually experiments going on in Australia where they, are a, they have a mix of 15 different types of cover crops of clovers, mustards, brassicas, um, grasses, and, and some, other, some other things. And then, you know, they're adding microorganisms into it after they chop the cover crop down. And the next year, they're, they're growing about a half inch of topsoil every year. Yeah. They're replenished. They're regenerating the earth. They're literally growing the land back by adding more carbon into it. And, and I always say to people that, if you if you know something share it you know we should always sequester our carbon but never our knowledge because the more we all know the more we can all advance together especially when it comes to food and and caring for the earth while growing that food and you know this is a, a permaculture farm where i'm at indigenous people of canada are the original permacultures the three sisters is a permaculture idea the the way that the fruit trees the berry bushes and the nut trees all grow in the Carolinian forest that's around here and where the where the, the Haudenosaunee people are supposed to live along the Grand River. Um, it is a rich area full of food and, and there's a lot of endangered species in there that we can still eat wildly. We can still go there and pick food that grows wildly. One thing that is pretty much extinct is pawpaw trees, which we grow here at the farm. I don't know if you guys ever had a pop pop, but they're pretty darn good. No, no, because I have no custard apple is the other name for them. Custard custard apple. They kind of look like a small green mango, but they're really delicious. Really, really good. Yeah. That will have to be on. Is it like a crab apple? Oh, absolutely not. It's really sweet. It's like um, it's got also the texture. Of, sweet. <laughs> no, it's it's got the texture of a banana. Kind of tastes like an. Apple, strawberry, melon, kiwi. Oh my god! Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try that. Yeah, they're really, really tasty. Uh, 
an indigenous plant? It is, yeah, to the Carolinian forest, which we, we live in the northern part of the Carolinian forest here, where I am at the, the western edge of Hamilton in the Dundas Valley and Castor area. Uh, and the Grand River, uh, all 300 kilometers long of it, is actually part of that Carolinian forest as well. And it goes down into the Carolinas based on our growing zones here. So because I'm in this little valley here, it's really nice. We're in we're in zone six, which is still pretty darn good for growing a lot of great fruits and vegetables that are native to Ontario. And and I have a list of 18. I can run through them really quick that yeah. we can yeah, grow in Ontario. Yeah. That that yeah, all came, posted, they yeah. all came send from. us the link too for that and we can post all that for everyone. Yeah, I'll email it off to for sure. Um all all of this food came from Mongolia people through discovery of here and uh, and it's all alphabetical. So amaranth, avocado beans, cacao, cassava, chia, maize, papaya, peanuts, peppers, pineapples, potatoes, quinoa, sweet potatoes, squash, sunflower, tomatillo, tomato, all the berries that we eat, such as raspberries, currants, gooseberries, Saskatoon berries, white berries, um, the red berries, we, uh, the, the, the juniper berries, peaches, pawpaw fruit, most of the apples that we have here uh also everything else that we can eat from the forest is all the wild edible mushrooms all the edible plants as well as all the nut trees fish and wild game that's insane that, that is all that came to us because of indigenous people yeah. the people that came here didn't have a clue of what to eat when they came oh, here. Right. so like right. can you imagine just saying all that imagine you just landed on the shore yeah you're like what is that thing exactly and <laughs> having all this food to you as like a buffet style do you yeah think they, or do you think they had to be shown to try it they had to be shown to try it like well, you never know well yeah I, like okay so for i've never heard of this pop-off they wouldn't even know it's pop-up exactly yeah. so can pre, you pre-contact pre-contact europeans had absolutely no clue what was over here because it was right. pre-contact the only way they would have known is through archaeological discovery from either written or verbal aspects from Leif Erikson, who was a fellow, his team, who was out, the Vikings, who were out in Lanzo uh, Meadow in, here. in uh, Newfoundland. And, you know, the Mi'kmaq ran them out of here. It's hard ground out there. It's hard living. Well, that's what, that's what Iceland is like. That's what Greenland is like. That's what Scandinavia is like. But there's no natives out there that don't want weird white people here. Right. You know, they, they were run off by the Mi'kmaq and they were smart. And they stayed away. You know, they, they stayed on Greenland. And they get along with the Inuit there. And and one thing that's really awesome within the cultures of the the northern, I say northern Ongolhoe, northern first people, like the Inuit style people, all the northern yeah. Ongolhoe people, all the way from northern so-called Canada over to um, Siberia is throat singing yeah it's in mm -hmm. it's an inuit culture it's in it's in scandinavian culture it's in icelandic culture it's in siberian culture mm -hmm. and it all comes from the inuit of the north over here and it's spread across and 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 the only way it got over there is through the vikings that's right. how it came across because the vikings are the same people who settled over they brought a lot of things with them as they invaded and settled across the northern parts of of europe down into russia and rus is from russia that word rus r-u-s is actually a word from the old slavic language for boat people huh? there you go there you go 
So as you can see, we have a lot of reasons why we give thanks uh, to uh, Mother Earth to help sustain uh, these plants. Like I honestly didn't even know about pawpaw fruit. So that's awesome that that to find out actually and learn from a settler ally yep. that that is actually an, an indigenous fruit from here. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we can't forget the medicines either, right? You know, tobacco exactly. was brought over to France and it was heavily, heavily ex ex exploited and appropriated. And the only place they were getting tobacco from was the fields over here from the natives. So they were stealing the tobacco and taking it home and selling it. I mean, like hundreds of millions of pounds of tobacco yeah. were brought over in the 1600s by uh, a French guy. I can't remember his, la his last name is, is Tab um, Nicotan or something like that. And Nicotana Rustica was the tobacco that they discovered down in South America. Um, and it's actually part of the original uh, Oyen Carola. I think that's how you say it. Is the... Hmm? Yeah, the, the traditional tobacco. Yeah. It's actually the original strain of it. 